we developed a landmark project that I can be proud of, that I can showcase to my family and friends and say, I was involved in that. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's the why. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're back with Matt Koo, the Managing Director of ICD Property. He'll share how he manages large development projects with his team and the kind of strategies they implement to achieve the best results. You'll also hear how he bounced back from being made redundant his driving factor for developing property, and much, much more. Aside from investing in property development, Matt Koo delves into the very first property he purchased. The first property was uh, um, the apartment which my my wife and I purchased when we got married. Um, And, you know, like... I guess you know the thinking about it was all right. We we want something that um, you know is in uh, with all the amenities around it that we we would use, um, and also one that we could pro- possibly see as a as an investment long term once we move out into our sort of family home. Um, yeah, and 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 it's funny, like you you know at that stage of your life what your interests are and, and that very much just you know um determines what the house looks like and 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 all the property that you purchase and then um yeah now now like you know being in a family home like like you can never sort of see yourself in that it's different phases of life um but yeah like the just trying to reflect on the the emotions of it um it's really quite daunting, actually. Um, uh, we, um, when we liked, knew we liked the property, we were very nervous to go to auction, um, and so we we ended up making an offer beforehand. Um, and I think when you make offers beforehand, um, it's obviously to a point where the vendor will be satisfied. Um, it's probably also like the agents um, advising you know, you're not going to get a better offer in, in, in an auction. So you do pay, I, in my mind, um, especially if the vendor isn't desperate, you pay sort of top dollar or, or at least sort of at market. Um, but as a buyer, I think it also, you really want a property, gives you that certainty. So you purchased that property that was in Melbourne CBD. How long ago was that roughly? Um, it wasn't Melbourne City. It was actually um, uh, South Yarra, which is it's in Melbourne. Yeah, but close close to Melbourne and stuff. That was in two thousand and ten. After purchasing his first property and working in finance, he goes on to share at what stage he jumped into property development. I was already working at ICD um, probably a couple of years. Um, my first uh, personal development actually came through one of my friends who was already doing development and. Um, he wanted to partner to um, explore, you know, more complicated types of development than just um, uh, the simple townhouses, which he, he was doing a fair bit of. Um, and so I came on board and we explored it and did a whole bunch of feasibilities. And 
other considerations. And ultimately, I, we, we landed at the um, conclusion that we could do all that, but actually doing the townhouses, the simple um, form was going to be easier to secure finance, um, lower risk to sell, uh, lower risk and less capital to develop, to build, um, and the returns were actually stronger as well. So I was like, look, I get you want to do this. Maybe you're kind of bored of doing the simple stuff, um, but actually it looks like doing the simple stuff is better for you on many perspectives. Um, and uh, that, that started our relationship in doing um, a partnership to do developments together. And you know, we've now done four or five um, of those simple type of townhouses. And it's just, it's just a good one to have on the side. Um, I get probably a little bit more involved in design elements and stuff, whereas in ICD, you know, we've got um, architects who are the expert at, ex- experts in that and you've got a lot of other helping hands. Ku shares how many townhouses he was developing with his partner at the time. Most of the sites, the projects are generally about three to five townhouses. So really simple. We're talking about buying a, 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 um, a residential block, you know, um, typically 700 plus square meters. Um, corners are the best and, and, and usually um, north facing with a sort of a, a um, vertical directional, if that makes sense. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but also obviously it depends on the, the, the zoning and, and planning um, uh, restrictions in, in, on, a, on a particular site. But yeah, generally that's the sort of size. Yeah, well, 700 square meters is, is a reasonable size. Um, how many can you actually get fit on there? And I guess it depends on the council too, but how many usually you can fit on a, a block like that? Between um, three to five. If you get a 700 square meter block in, in Sydney, most of the time, depending on which council, most you could do is a duplex. They wouldn't even allow you to even build that many on there, which is really interesting. So, I guess it's depending on the council, depending on location. Yeah, and, it, and even in the short time that I've been developing, um, yeah, the, the, the councils have changed their, their regulations. Um, so you do find that what you possibly could have done a few years ago um, is, is you know, probably not possible now. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's around trying to restrict the, um, the density in, in some of the suburbs. He goes on to reveal some of his worst investing moments and the lessons he learned. A big risk for a lot of smaller developments, um, and look, there's actually a risk for any development, um, is around the builder. Um, so we, we've actually had a builder fall over on one of our projects, um, and we're still completing that project now, <laughs> um, probably probably a year after we would like to have completed it. Um, so that. It, has you know a real material impact on on your outcomes um, and sort of reflecting on you know um, reflecting on how we could have mitigated against that um, I think it's really important to do greater assessment on borders that you're looking to engage um, and I think you know making sure you understand their financial capacity um, and cash flow uh, that you know builders rely heavily on on cash flow and when they um, are in trouble they start to 
turn the tap off on their subcontractors so, and then you get issues there. So um, digging into that, whether you're asking the subcontractors, whether um, you're looking up for any um, court or um, uh, in, you know, um, uh, claims you know, against, against the builder um, online uh, and understanding how much work they've got on. Um, a lot of builders um, that go broke uh, are generally ones that are looking to grow really quickly. Once in March, they have too much debt. Those who want to keep doing the same thing, as we talked about before, like it's hard to stuff up something you know really well. He reflects on the process for choosing this builder for the particular project and when he realized things were not going right. Yeah, look, I think um, we probably prioritized um, as an investment, prioritized price, but also prioritized like just got a gut feel that they, they seem like a good builder. They're very organized, very structured, um, but probably didn't ask the right questions or we didn't ask the right questions around the capacity and any sort of uh, bubbling issues going on in, in, in the company. I guess happens when we're going through the whole process as well. Due diligence, you know, we try our best, but sometimes just, you know, it doesn't hit the mark. On the face of it, I think people can dress things up really nicely. Um, it seems okay, but yeah, you do need to dig in further. He goes on to share some of the moments where everything just clicked for him. For me, I had a lot of doubt in my capabilities um, going into ICD. And, um, you know, when we were able to secure that joint venture partner, um, you know, an in institutional group and, you know, a $30 billion company based out of China, um, listed in, on the stock exchange there, to invest in our project that I was managing, um, it, to me, gave a lot of validity that, you know, I'm doing something okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the lesson I learned from that is um, there's no right or wrong way to, to developing projects. Um, you, I guess you just have to find your own logic and make sure that, you know, your fundamentals make sense. Um, for me, I drew a lot on how a financier would approach a, a property development. Um, I also, where I didn't know what was the best way of doing things, I, I benchmarked the best um, out there. So I looked at what other people were doing globally, locally, um, and I was like, well, if they did it and it works, then copy it. He further explains how he has been able to put these large property developments together. It doesn't matter what scale it is because even, even sometimes the individual smaller projects, you're talking big capital um, for anyone, um, for myself included. They're, they're, they're big decisions and you, you, um, it's, it's easy to focus on the downside, um, the you know, what if and the, um, the negative rhetoric goes with that and um, it's often that which really holds you back from making um, crucial decisions and, and sort of helping you propel forward. Um, I think something I learned from both Michael who, who's, who's my boss and, and his father who's had a lot of experience um, running a large company, 
you can't mitigate or sorry, you, you can't get rid of all risks. Otherwise, you might as well just you know put your money in the bank or wherever else you can possibly make some you know risk-free money. But if you can satisfy yourself that you're comfortable with the worst case scenario, the exit strategy, call it, um, if things don't work out with your decision, um, then you can sleep at night. So if you know that, okay, I'm going to buy this site and I'm going to develop it. But if, you know, the feasibility doesn't stack up or the market turns or whatever it is, I can sell this site and possibly lose $100,000 or $200,000. Then, you know, you're, and you can live with that, then, then you can you remove the stress. And I think that's a, a critical part about making decisions um, and, and sleeping at night. <laughs> he talks about the sort of strategy he and his team implement to ensure they reach a certain stage in the developing process. It's worth having more than one scenario. I think like if you think that everything's going to go this way, then um, you're going to be in for a rude shock. Um, but yeah, generally we'll run probably three scenarios, um, a, a, a base case, a target and a, and a, and a worst case or stress case um, and uh, really focuses more on the base and the, and, the, and, the, and the stress, you know, like what do we want to achieve and see is realistically possible and, you know, what if we get delays or things cost more than they should and all that sort of stuff. and. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a process and then, and then really our decisions would be based on like, you know, what's the return we're getting in the base case? Yep, we're satisfied with that. Um, like that, that's a good use of our money. And then the stress case is like, okay, what's going to happen if, you know, worst case scenario, are we going to lose money? Are we going to have enough money? You know, all those sort of um, considerations and then we're, we're comfortable with that and have the mitigants in place to ensure that, um, you know, that, that is the worst case that's going to happen, but also less likely than, than it could if we didn't mitigate against it. Due to the current unforeseen climate, he goes on to explain how the changing environment has impacted some of his projects. I'll probably use the most, uh, not controversial, but one that I think has um, been impacted the most um, from this. And I would say that uh, our Adelaide project, um, because we in the very early phases of, of that, um, it, it's good and it's bad. I wouldn't say bad even. It's, it's, it's good in that we haven't got everything rigidly in place. Um, it's, going, it's a development of 16,000 square metres of office. It's um, close to 10,000 square metres of retail space. It's got a hotel in there and, and it's got residential as well. So... If I was to say, like, um, if we're completing that project now in the state of the market, retail is shot, office has got, you know, um, challenges in the horizon, hotel hasn't been operating for, you know, <laughs> across the, the world and, and I think the latest reports on international tra- travel is going to be um, not, um, you know, back to normal until 2023. So um, there are a lot of headwinds for a project like that that's in design in the sense that, we need to consider and and um, and work within a very uncertain framework of what is office going to look like at the end of this. Like, 
has is the new normal um, meaning that people don't work in office spaces anymore? I, I don't think that's the case, but like you know, like how much is it going to change, and how do we build into that? Um, and we've done part of that by restructuring the way the office is designed. So we were originally going to have two towers. Now we're, we're combining them with a central core, which enables you to have two separate areas still. So you can, there's a lot of flexibility in the size of the spaces. Um, or we could have a, a large contiguous space of, you know, two and a half, two, two thousand, two and a half thousand square meters. So like, it, you know, that, that's one element of it. Um, I guess with the, the office as well, like, you know, um, in this challenging time, we want to create positivity and we'd like to work with, you know, the government and the various bodies to potentially firm up demand in that. So I know that there's a number of government um, departments as well as um, uh, ancillary sort of groups associated with the government that are looking for space. They want this development to... Um, go up and go up quickly, that's another way of sort of supporting it. So um, looking into those areas for office, for retail, now retail is a big one, you know, like, you know, everyone's now gotten used to online. Um, how does that change the retail space? And I think um, it was already heading in that direction, just probably a bit slower than it has now. Um, so I think the fundamental about retail is really making an interactive entertainment focused space um you know, like it's not just about buying your goods because if you can buy your goods you've got a supplementary source for that now um so how do you make it something that is not replaceable coming up after the break we hear about matt Koo's biggest why for doing what he does I can't say that I, I, I started off with the why at the very start of, of working at ICD, but it's definitely evolved, especially now in, a, in this leadership role um, at ICD, I've realized the importance of why. Um, why drives everything. Like if, if you don't have a reason uh, uh, of doing what you do, you'll, you'll fizzle and burn out um, because you won't have that drive. The kinds of resources that have inspired him throughout his journey. Podcasts are great, you know, um, and uh, but uh, there is one book uh, I'd say, um, and it's not even a property book. It's Ben Graham's, um, you know, Intelligent Investor. And that's next. I'm Taran Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Dell's Monitor's LA project and whether they are focused more on residential units as is predominantly commercial and office space. It does have um, circa sort of 300 apartments in there um, and uh, you know like that, that's another area to really explore as well. Um, there's a sort of rising trend towards build to rent um, type development so you know, in terms of um, mitigating potential residential sales risk could you look at, at, at in one line and um, the focus on build to rent is around yield and yields are stronger in Adelaide than they would be in Sydney and Melbourne uh, with the lot prices. So that's another thing to sort of explore. And, and all these things, there's, as you can start to see with a, a, a 
more complex project, a large project like this, there's a, a lot of things to consider in the current environment. He shares with us exactly how he manages all these projects and how he empowers his team to ensure they get things done. We've set up a, a system where the, the team has full empowerment and it's then up for them to come to us when they need support. And I've, I've, um, because we are in regular um, touch points, I, as I say, we like a, me and, and the leadership team, um, we, we get regular updates from the guys on things that matter. Um, they leave us out on the very specific details that are going on, but um, we get to understand the um, the key drivers, the things that are um, fundamentally going to impact the value of a project. Um, and and that's probably like a good lesson learned for those out there, and is that um, you can focus on the color of a tap or you know like um, a, um, a something minute or small like that you know a tile that's $30 versus another tile that's $28 or something like that but um, if you take a step back and look at things that are going to make more difference um, uh, one they're more fulfilling I think and you don't get so bogged down um, yeah and, and they're obviously going to make a, a greater impact so it might seem like I know a lot about the project I think if you ask me the in details of things, I'd be, I would struggle for sure. Um, but in terms of going back to your question, managing it, um, yeah, like having good people around you that you can trust is key. With his impressive achievements as a managing director for ICD, he delves into his biggest why for doing what he does. I can't say that I, I, I started off with the why at the very start of, of working at ICD, but it's definitely evolved, especially now in, a, in this leadership role um, at ICD, I've realized the importance of why. Um, why drives everything. Like if, if you don't have a reason a, 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 of doing what you do, you'll, you'll fizzle and burn out um, because you won't have that drive. Uh, if I was to sum it up in, in one sentence as a personal why, um, for me, like I want to do stuff that's going to um, make my, my kids proud of of, of what their dad's been able to achieve. Um, and, you know, having that really deep, meaningful reason for, for doing something, I think is, is really important. And um, sharing that with the team, uh, like I, I realized that it's, it's not an isolated thing. Everyone um, that works at ICD has a really deep, purposeful reason um, for developing what we do, and we, our, so we we don't want to develop things purely just to make money. Um, that's an important aspect as a, as a commercial, as a as a corporation. Um, but we've actually got a, a motto that you know we we want to develop buildings that stand the test of time, beautiful buildings that stand the test of time. Um, what that really speaks to and, and captures for all of us is this idea of um, of passion. You know, you're doing something you're passionate about. Um, it's developing that sustainability um, from an investment perspective, uh, from a community perspective. So you're de delivering an, a, an end product that you know is good for the people you're developing for. So you, 
that feeling of, yep, I've done something good for the community. I've done something good for our purchases. Um, we're not shortchanging them. They're going to get a great investment themselves. They're going to get great enjoyment out of the, the pro- product that we've created for them. Uh, and for our staff as a stakeholder themselves, um, you know, that sense of pride. We developed a landmark project that I can be proud of, that I can showcase to my family and friends and say, I was involved in that. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's the why. He goes on to talk about the kinds of resources that have helped him along his journey. Podcasts are great, you know, um, and, uh, but uh, there is one book, uh, I'd say, um, and it's not even a property book. It's Ben Graham's um, you know, Intelligent Investor. Um, what I learned from that was, and that's a, that's a, that's a book that Warren Buffett often refers to, and I think Warren Buffett is probably a, um, a, you know, an important influencer in the way I go about looking at investments. Um, one thing is, and this is why I don't go into shares, <laughs> is, is understand what you invest in. You know, like know to the core, the fundamentals of what you're investing and, and that it makes sense to you. Um, and any time I've lost money is investing in shares off people's recommendations. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that, that, that to me is fun, you know, really important. Know what you're investing in um, and making sure that you're investing in good value. You know, buy at the right time and the right property. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're core. Um, but outside of outside of reading, like um, you know, podcasts, uh, and I, I, I prescribe that to mine are mainly mainly around leadership um, rather than so much on the property side of things. Um, but entree leadership as a as a podcast has been really um, useful for me. Um, and that's more around uh, actually interactions with and, and leading staff um, because, as I mentioned before, like how do you manage all of this? Actually, for me now and the way I go about running um, it, the businesses is around um, how I interact and influence staff and influence consultants and stuff, which I guess for on a smaller scale, it's still important. Like treat people well, and you'll you know you'll be rewarded with um, you know uh, with dedication, loyalty, uh, and and results. Um, and I think you know, structuring things um, to do that you know, is is key. So yeah, entree leadership is one. Um, we've actually at, at work we've um, aligned with a, a group called Performance Shift, uh, Kirk Peterson. Uh, he comes in and, and um, again, it's more around self-management and team interaction and management than, than anything else. Um, from a property side of things, um, uh, like I, I look up to, to Michael, who's my boss, and um, and his father as well, um, who, who runs a, a like a, a conglomerate that has a large property component and really understands the fundamentals around property on a global scale. Um, And there are some really wise people outside in in the property industry. Um, One is the head of EG Funds Management, Adam Gutt. Every time I talk to him, I think I get wiser. And then there's other people that I've come across. My ex-boss at ANZ, I still keep in touch with him a lot, Adrian Blake. 
um, yeah, he, he's phenomenal in, in, in knowing the, the, the property industry and, and, and the trends and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think like whenever you find people that really inspire you and, 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 um, and uh, motivate you and also give you great insight, you got to hold on to those people. If he had some time to reflect on his past self 10 years ago, we find out what he would have said to himself. 10 years ago would have probably been smack bang on, you know, when I got made redundant. So that would be perfect timing to, to impart some wisdom. Um, the positive attitude is very important in life. Um, you can look at anything half full or half empty and, um, and you will achieve a lot more if you're positive about any situation at all. Um, so I, I guess it's sort of a, a guiding point, I would, I would say that um, to my former self. Um, I also feel like I got into property development on my own, on my own part um, a lot later. I, I definitely thought about it earlier, uh, sort of around 10 years ago, but never took the dive into it. It took a friend of mine to you know, influence and persuade me into it. Um, but if I was able to, to speak to my former self, I would say, just, just give it a go. Like, you know, the worst thing that can happen is you lose your money and you get a really good lesson in life. What's interesting as well, you mentioned back in 2010 was when you first purchased your first property, which is that apartment, right? So that's around that same time. Was it? Before? Yeah, I can't remember how, what the timing was. Whether it was before or after. I, I have a feeling I got made redundant before, got a new job, and then purchased the property. Yeah, because it was late late 2010 when we got made, purchased the property at the same time. But uh, yeah, I think like yeah, I recovered pretty quickly out of it. <laughs> he looks forward to the future, where he shares what is happening for him in the upcoming five years. Yeah, pretty much last year picked up all these amazing projects. The one in Adelaide, the one in um, we were approval for Sydney. Picked up our Auckland project. I'm really excited to be doing those projects, and over the next five years, that's what's going to come to fruition. As well as the one in Melbourne, which will be completed over that time. Um, and yeah, and I'm really excited about um, you know what's in store for us in the next year or two there's a lot of uncertainty but um you know i think once we are um settled down on these other big projects like i'm really keen for our, our team to be purchasing and, and 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 getting involved in more projects last question for you is how much of your success is due to your skill intelligence and hard work and how much of it is because of luck well that's a good question um like I, again, I'm a dad. I don't skill. I don't think of myself as very skillful. Um, mainly hardware. Now, look, I, 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 my my thinking around luck is, you know, you make your own luck. You got opportunities. Everyone's got opportunities in their life. Um, it's what you make out of them. So, um, like, if you want to call that luck, like something just drops in front of you, you got to pick it up. And um, so, I'd say, you know, ninety percent hard work um, and. Don't see hard work as a negative either. Like the hard work is enjoyable when you get an outcome. So uh, yeah, I think that and then yeah, five ten percent skill.
Thank you to Matt Koo, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com.